Glory to God. Thank you so much. God bless you. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 12 says, And they overcame him. They overcame the accuser. By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of the testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Jesus overcame. What was his power? How was his power revealed? Was his power revealed through smashing his enemies? Was his power revealed through cutting sarcastic remarks that showed them how dumb they were? That's how I want my power to be revealed sometimes, isn't it? He overcame by offering his life. We overcame come through his blood and our testimony. And our testimony looks like those who do not love their lives more than they love God's commands. They don't love their, we don't love our lives more than we love the life of somebody else. We don't value ourselves more than we value another. Let's just sit in that for a moment. Let's think about that. Let's pray these celebratory prayers honoring Jesus for overcoming and let's pray these pleading prayers asking God to help us truly be overcomers I'm going to give you a moment and then I will pray and we'll continue Lord God, your son overcame by offering his life. And Lord, we know that we overcome by receiving his life for our life. And Lord, we know that 
to do that, to receive his life for our life means that we follow his footsteps. And so that to be overcomers, we don't love our lives more than more than the commands that you instruct. And as John tells us in 1 John, your commands are not grievous. They're not burdensome. As Jesus told us, take, take my yoke upon you. Because my yoke, my, my, my yoke, this, this idea, this image of a burden, it is light and it is easy. I take that 10 10 that Jesus means that he wasn't calling us to a bunch of religious ritual. A bunch of fearful, anxious, busying about trying to rescue and redeem ourselves. However, Lord, I do take it to also mean that the burden that he wanted us to bear was to love others. Like you love us, Father. Your love that's revealed in your son, Jesus, loving us. And so, Lord, today, I confess, we've fallen short of loving like you love this week. We come today asking you to forgive us for where we've fallen short. And Lord, we ask you today that as we are gathered here, that you will build us up, strengthen us, renew our resolve, give us fresh motivation, challenge, so that we will go out from this place and love others more than we love ourselves. We will value others more than we value ourselves. We will value your commands more than we value our desires. I pray. I pray that you would help us, equip us, attend to us. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. And my brothers and my sisters said, Amen. So, on the top, it said, this is your personal invitation. That was on the top of the Friendswood Baptist Church tract that my father and others in our church would go out on Saturday mornings and put on people's doorknobs. And sometimes even if we were so bold and so brave, we wouldn't just leave their personal invitation on their doorknob, but we would knock and we would say, hi, I'm Macaulay Austin. I would like to extend to you a personal invitation to the Friendswood Baptist Church. I did this a lot uh, as a young man, um, you know, adolescent into my youth, uh, and I think about that, this, this idea that, 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 that the track said, this is your personal invitation, right? Because people knew that there was a church here just as they know that there's churches everywhere else in this city. But there is something about knowing that there's a group of people who are meeting and gathering 
on a Sunday morning for worship or on a Wednesday night for a Bible study and prayer or on some other time just to hang out and fellowship. There's something about knowing that and then there's something about being personally invited to that. There's a little bit of a difference there. Now, this morning, I'm not going to proceed and tell you that you need to go out and give everybody a personal invitation to Friends of Baptist Church, and that's what we're going to do this year. Although, I would encourage you, go give people a personal invitation to Friends of Baptist Church. That would be awesome. One of the people who is so good at that is Miss Ruth Boone. I mean, um, for... Ruth, every time that she like comes just about, um, and well, for a long time, not, not, not anymore, she stopped doing this, I don't know, I'm just joking, uh, but she always brings friends with her, she always brings somebody, and they're like, hey, you know, she's like, I, I, I invited them to come with me, so it works, um, but, but here's w- why I think about this idea of this personal invitation, it's not about just coming to Friends of Baptist Church, or coming to a church service. The other day I was reading this article, and I mean, amidst all the stuff that we go, have going on in our world and in our nation, this article, it was a very well thought out article, and it was Um, presenting a whole bunch of research, but the article ultimately was saying, like, how seemingly close we might be as a nation to civil war. How vulnerable our democracy is at this very moment because we have such polarized oppositional camps. And not only that, it's because we've, we've reduced ourselves to a two-party system, really. That doesn't help anything. So now it's, it's, it's either you're on team A or you're on team B. And, and this wasn't just like a hypothetical situations. These people went back and they studied all recent civil wars in democracies, like over like the last like you know, hundred years or so. And, and there's been a lot throughout our world. I mean, we think about ours, our last one, our last major one. Um, and I, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I read an article like that, it's a little bit unsettling. It's a little unnerving. And it makes me kind of go like, well, what do I do? And then this last week, uh, hear about every, every couple hours, I'm hearing somebody else got sick. <laughs> you know, it feels like just all, every time I turn around, somebody's sick or somebody's in need of, of, of something. And, and, uh, and, and of course, we're very, very thankful at this present moment that even though a lot of people are getting sick, most people are recovering and we're very thankful for that. But then I talk to those people who are sick and they're not going like, oh no, it was nothing, it was a breeze. They're going, I don't like being sick. 
I'm like, oh, really? That's not good for you? And some of the things I mentioned earlier, like, it's not just that I was sick and I had a fever and I felt bad. It's now I am, like, drained of energy and strength. I'm trying to overcome this cough. So it's all right. And then I lay down at night and it's like I just kept up half the night and I'm not really getting the rest I need. And I'm like, what do I do? And one of the things that I often do with uh, my brothers and my sisters, like whenever I talk to them on the phone or visit with them whenever they're in a time of sickness or other kind of sorrow, I'll say, hey, we're, I'll encourage them, we're praying for you. I usually tend to try to have a word of prayer at that moment. I don't like saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you and then go about my day because I can't trust myself to actually pray for them if I don't pray for them right then. Because guess what? Other things happen. That's just a practical encouragement to you. Like if you don't just go like, hey, I'll pray for you. Why don't you just sometimes just go, hey, I'm going to pray with you right now. Would you mind if I just prayed with you right now? And guess what? You might not be a great prayer. That doesn't matter. That will be encouraging to your brother and sister. And in fact, what you're doing is you're calling on God to act and move and work and his spirit to move. And his spirit will do that no matter how great of a prayer you think you are. And I encourage you that. But then I'll also say, is there any other thing that we can do for you practically outside of prayer? Do you need a meal? Do you need some, you know, an errand run? Is there something else that we can do? Along with prayer. And that's how I always feel about things. It's like, it's just not enough often just to wish people well, right? James tells us. What good is it if you see somebody who's naked and destitute of food and you go, hey, blessings on your day. And you don't actually give them some clothes or you don't give them a meal. Like, what good is it? Those are empty words. He says a faith that looks like that is an empty faith. It's not a real faith. So I'm always thinking like, okay, well, what, what more can be done? And then like we show up and we know like, hey, we're going to show up on Sunday morning. And, 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 and I, have some, I have some things that I want to like, like this year, we want to get back into some, uh, some life and liveliness with Friends with Baptist Church. We, want, we, we, we got to have the uh, uh, hayride and hot chocolate event uh, right before Christmas, and that was really fun. And we were like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like just to come together and have fun and fellowship. And we like each other, and we, we have a good time. And, and, and so, you know, already have met with Miss Danielle, and she's going to be our, uh, you know, our fellowship activities coordinator. And she's not going to do it alone. She has friends. Miss Felice has already helped her. And, um, and, and, and others, she's going to say, hey, y'all come along and help. But, but we already sat down. We planned out some things that we want to do just to like, hey, look, there's this whole other thing that we are, that, that's part of being a church. And that's just being together, fellowshipping with one another. 
I'm ready for that. But I'm, I, I can tell you this, like I'm looking at the first couple of weeks of the year and I'm like, well, when's that going to happen again? <laughs> you know, like this is, oh, this is tough. So all this to say, I'm always looking for something like, what can we do? I read articles that are arduous and a little bit scary. I'm looking at people who are sick. I'm thinking about our church and like the lifeblood and the liveliness of our church and like discipleship and, and all these kind of things that we got kind of like, okay, well, we need to get back into this and like, well, what's happening here? And I feel a little overwhelmed and And the Lord comes to me and he says, maybe there's nothing else you can do right now outside of prayer. Maybe that's where we need to focus a little bit. And I thought about this, and it's like not this harsh command to pray, but it's like this personal invitation. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter number 19. And Elijah, uh, in this story of Elijah, I get this idea of God personally inviting somebody into prayerful communication with them. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of rehearse that story, recover that story, refresh that story in our, in our memory, in our imagination. And, and this is the message today is like, this is our personal invitation our personal invitation from God to come to him with our prayer. And we'll talk about some different types of prayers and praying, but Elijah's story is 1 Kings 19. If you know anything about Elijah, Elijah was a prophet. Uh, he was a prophet whenever this wicked king, King Ahab, he wasn't supposed to be a wicked king. He was, he, he was supposed to be a good ruler leading God's people and faithfulness of the covenant and the worship of Yahweh, and uh, but he wasn't. He was a, he was a no good king. He actually had this uh, wicked wife, this wife named Jezebel, and Jezebel um, she was uh, she worshipped this foreign god named Baal, and Baal uh, uh, had not only his only uh, like it wasn't just like hey we we have this other place to go worship. It was they had a whole religious ritual system surrounding that. The Baal had his own priest and prophets and and what Jezebel uh, led and, and, and influenced her husband the king to do was to get rid of all of the prophets of Yahweh and promotion of the prophets of Baal so if you were a prophet of Yahweh then guess what your life was at risk 
And Elijah's story is pretty remarkable. We, we see how God you know, rescued him and, uh, and protected him and sustained him for a number of years. As, as see, whenever Elijah got a little ahead of myself, Elijah, whenever he discovered that, that this was Jezebel's agenda, that she wanted to destroy all of God's prophets, and, and whenever he saw that the king was going with it and that the people were going with it, Elijah was like, something has to wake up these people. And so Elijah was this man, and he prayed that God would, would close up the heavens, that there would be a drought, that there would be no rain for three years. And, 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 and you and I, we kind of know what it might mean to not have any water for you know, a, you know, a, a little bit, but we really don't get it unless you are, are relying on, 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 on the rains to come so that you can have uh, your crops produce. Oh, we're kind of too far removed from it sometimes. Sometimes we hear of a drought, and we're like, oh, no, I'm not going to get to keep my grass green. <laughs> and the farmer's going, no, 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 your grocery store might not have tomatoes, right? And so, and so sometimes we don't get the heaviness of this, but this was a major prayer, and it was a major moment for Elijah to, 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 to wake up God's people and be like grabbing somebody by the shoulders and going, snap out of it, man. And that's what he thought that would happen here. He's like, oh, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to pray that, God, that, the, that there will be no rain. There's no rain for three years. During that time, God sustains him miraculously. And he doesn't sustain him in Israel. And Jesus picks up on this later. But he takes him to this foreign woman's, widow woman's house. And he not only sustains Elijah, he sustains the widow woman and her family. And then Elijah comes out and... And after three years of this, he's like, okay, we, we, we got to show everybody. Like, look, the prophets of Baal are, are weak. They, 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 they are praying to vapor. There is nothing. There's no power, no, no authority in what they're doing. But Yahweh is authoritative, and, and his prophet can come and, and, and cry out to him, and, and they will see that Yahweh is powerful. And so, so he sets this, this great moment. Uh, it, it's like this, this, like, hey, this battle royale via the prophets, and there's like 400 prophets of Baal, and there's one prophet of Yahweh, and it's Elijah. And it's not rained for three years. And Elijah says, whichever one of us can call fire down from heaven to light up this sacrifice, that prophet's God is the true God. And of course, the story goes on, the prophets of Baal pray and pray and pray and pray and they do all the things that you and I think that we need to do whenever we're praying to God, like, oh, I'm just going to get the right posture. They even start like hurting themselves, afflicting themselves. And sometimes we think like, God's really not going to think that I mean it if I don't get down, if I don't, you know, like sackcloth and ashes and, and stuff like that. And, and they are doing all these things. They're using these great words. Oh, most, most holy, mighty, wonderful, awesome Baal, right? All these words that like maybe Baal will go like, oh, I'm flattered. Like, of course I'll do do something for you, you you flatter, right? Like, like, and that's what we think. Sometimes we think, like, oh, I need to, I need to invoke God and give Him all these like niceties, like, or, or these 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 titles. Oh, you know, they're good titles, but He doesn't need them. And ba uh, and they pray, they pray like all day long, nothing happens. And Elijah shows up and he says, "Hey, douse the 
the thing in fire or the, 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 the thing in water. Water's hard to come by. It had to drought, but yet they do it. This, this altar is now saturated with water. And he prays a simple prayer. Fire comes down from heaven. Elijah's like, this is it. This is the victory. People have to wake up now. He defeats all the prophets of Baal violently. Kills them. Calls rain, calls God to send rain again. Rain comes. He thinks, man, I have the victory in hand. We've overcome. First Kings chapter number 19, verse number one. King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more. Let them kill me or worse. If I do not make your life as the life of one of the prophets that you killed by tomorrow about this same time. And when Elijah read the messenger or message or received the message, he, he arose and he went for his life and came to Beersheba. Sometimes we have to get into the imagination, not just read the words on the text, but live it. You've just secured this great victory. You've just proved that Yahweh is God, that Baal is nothing. And now you think, okay, here, we're going to move into a new direction. A new day is coming. And then you get word that everything you did does not matter. Because Ahab is still king and Jezebel still has authority. So it doesn't really matter what you did and what other people believe about Yahweh. The ones in authority can take your life. And now, not only can they do it, they're coming for you, mister, right? So he arose and he went with haste. No, he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. He ran into the wilderness to hide. David ran into the wilderness to hide. He was fleeing for his life. He comes to a juniper tree. And I have heard way too many preachers act like, and then he sat down and he whined. Shut your mouth, preacher. Who says that? These are just a little riff here, all right? These are guys who can't take, who cannot take any sort of criticism from people in their congregation who love them. How dare you ask me? I'm the preacher. I'm the blah, 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 blah. They don't even know what it's like to have somebody hunting for their life, and they sit there and they talk about Elijah. Like, he, he went and he sat down under the juniper tree, and he whined. I've heard, I've heard it said so many times, and I'm telling you, it fires me up. Because read his story, put yourself in his position, have some empathy and compassion. 
and understand that you've not walked his shoes, you've not lived his life, and what he can do is inform you for whenever you do have to walk in those moments. And God didn't give us the story to say, don't just be whiny babies sitting under the juniper tree. God gave us the story to show us God's faithfulness in this moment when this prophet who did great things in the name of the Lord needed God to do great things for him. How he attended to him, how he was merciful towards him in a moment where he was weak and he was beggarly. So, Some things get my goad, right? He went and sat under the juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough now, oh Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. I've not been able to do anything. All my works that I've done to reveal who you are, Yahweh. Empty, vain, worthless. All the other prophets have tried to get people to see who you are. And I thought, man, maybe I could do it. I'm no better than them. So how does God respond? Does God say, oh, Elijah, you little whiner, I can't believe. No, here's what God does. As he lay, he slept under the juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and he laid down again. God said, come as he's resting in this grief and this lament and this vanity, this despair, this resentment, this bitterness, whatever, whatever he's feeling here, probably all of these things all at once. And the Lord sends an angel, a ministering uh, messenger, and he fixes him a meal and he gives him some water. And he eats and he lays down again and he rests. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and he touched him and he said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. I'm taking you on a journey. You need to eat again. And he arose and he did eat and drink. And he went in the strength of that meat for 40 days and 40 nights unto the Mount of Horeb, the Mount of God. 40 days and 40 nights could he last on that mill. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah tells him, Here's the moment in the story where we see a personal invitation from God extended. Hey, Elijah, I know that you said it's enough. I just want to die. I heard that part. Why are we here? Why are we here right now? Why is that on your heart? Why do you want to die? Why don't you think you're any better than your fathers? Elijah, talk to me. 
Do you understand that that's what prayer is? It's talking to God. Talk to me. So Elijah tells him. And I don't know how Elijah said it. I don't know if Elijah was like, Done. I, I don't know. I've, I've been very jealous for the Lord my God of hosts and the children of Israel, for they, they've forsaken thy covenant, they've thrown down thy halters, they've slain thy prophets with the sword, and here it is. It's just me. I don't know if he's angry. You know, I've been jealous for my God and for the children of Israel, and they've forsaken the covenant, they've thrown down the altars, and here it is. I'm the only one left. I don't know if he was broken. And he was, <laughs> oh no, I've tried. It's just me. You know what? I think the text invites us to imagine any one of those scenarios. I don't know if he's resentful. Here's what I do know. I do know that the text doesn't say, and Elijah sat down and said, let me get the right posture. Let me, let me see how I can do this well. Elijah, at the end, was invited to God to speak, and he spoke. And you and I can imagine him coming broken, we can imagine him coming in anger and resentment and bitterness. We can imagine him coming in like despair. And none of those are wrong. I am the only one who left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go and stand before the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind rent the mountain. And it broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. I take this to mean not only that God only speaks in a still small voice because God passed by Moses in great authority. God showed up to Job in a whirlwind, in a tornado. God can show up as God wants to show up. But God will show up as we need him to show up. And how I take this to mean is that what, Elijah, what God knew about Elijah, he invited Elijah into prayer. Elijah uttered a prayer and God showed up as Elijah needed him to show up. Sometimes I need God to show up and settle me down into some like authority and aggression. You need to sit down, Macaulay, and you need to listen. Sometimes God comes to me and he needs to speak to me 
as a friend. And come, come here, Macaulay. Come here. What, what are you doing? Sometimes God needs to speak to me very softly. Tenderly. Jesus is calling. And it was so, verse 13 says, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and it said a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And a second time, Elijah prayed. A second time, God invites Elijah into prayer. And Elijah prayed. And the Lord has an answer for Elijah. And you can go about and read the answer that he had for Elijah. The only thing that I would caution you against doing is saying, well, he had an answer for Elijah, and this was Elijah's answer, so now I'm going to glean from that my own answer. No, what we should read is he had a word for Elijah, and he had an answer for Elijah. And if he had a word for Elijah, and he had an answer for Elijah, then he will have a word for you and an answer for you. He will attend to you. We don't have to allegorize Elijah's, the, the word to Elijah and apply that to our lives. We don't need to allegorize. So I've, and this is not the first nor the last time am I going to tell this story from Elijah. Pastorally, it comes up all the time. As I said, it's one of my favorites. It reveals so much about who we are. And there's so much that we could think about, like whenever you feel defeated, you feel like you've come to the end and you, you, you did everything you could and there was nothing more you could do. And that's kind of how I see it today is God's not going, I need you to do something more. God's inviting me, he's inviting us right now into prayer. He's inviting us to come and say, God, like, whether it's our nation, I don't, I, I'm scared. Uh, America's not my hope. It's not my hope. I'm, but I'm not apolitical either. Right? I mean, what, what they do in Washington affects me. It affects others. But I have to kind of hold this intention and in balance and like, oh yeah, God, like your hope is the church. It's not which president is there, but, but those presidents have an effect. Maybe my prayer is, and this is something that I'm wrestling through, maybe the prayer is that we as a church are more effective, if you will. Maybe we stop being so anemic and stop thinking that it is, oh, well, only if we get some legislation in there, or only if we get the right guy in there. And I can tell you, I see people on both sides of Christian spectrum arguing for the left and for the right. And maybe we need to stop saying, hey, my life's not in your hands. It's in the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe instead of last January 6th, people singing worship songs... We as the church stand up and say, not, not, no, no, no. You don't take my Savior's name. 
You don't take the name of the one who laid down his life for others while you are celebrating and you are propping up like you are going to hang Mike Pence. You don't get to do that. Not with my king who laid down his life for this world. Maybe instead of people who are violently protesting race issues. We go, well, you know, they just had to let their anger out. We go, why don't you stand up like Martin Luther King Jr. did? Because he was led by this dream that said we could nonviolently withstand loving not our lives unto death for the sake of others. Maybe not me, but maybe the next generation. I feel an invitation to prayer. A personal plea of the Lord that says, listen, I know you you can't do much here, can you? What's going on with your heart? Why, Why do you feel this way? Maybe that's what I go to the Lord with. And I go, God, I feel like I can't do anything. I don't feel like anything I do would be worth it. Maybe me as a pastor who pastors a hundred or so lovely, wonderful people goes, what is a hundred wonderful, lovely people going to do? We feel really small. What kind of impact can we make? So this is our invitation to prayer. I was thinking about this, this a couple ways that we can pray. I think part of what we need to pray and use prayer, this invitation, as a way to process. We can process certain things like anxiety, grief, anger, confusion. What do I mean whenever I say processing? I mean, I go to God and I say, God, I am anxious. Not, God, please forgive me for being anxious. No, God, I am anxious. There's no morality to me being anxious. It just is. It just be. I'm anxious, God. And here's why I'm anxious. I'm confused, God. Not, hey, God, uh, I mean, I know others are confused. I'm not really because I know you're you're in control. No, God, I'm confused. I'm thoroughly confused. Thoroughly confused why cancer struck, why she died, why I'm alone, why I'm sick, why people don't get it, why I seem to be the only one who gets it. Processing hatred. God, I, truth be told, I hate those people do this for me I hate when people invoke the name of the king of kings and lord of lords for things that Jesus would never be about and I can't just be like oh I feel empathy and compassion for them because they don't know better nope they make me mad and I don't like them and I don't love them maybe it's I you know 
you found that there's hatred in your heart for somebody who has another political ideology, you have to go to God and process that. Say, God, whenever I hear a Dem- like somebody who is a liberal or a Democrat, like I get like my teeth grit. God, that's in my heart, God. Whenever I hear somebody, you know, whenever I see somebody has a Trump flag in the yard, I'm my blood boils. I know y'all all feel that way. I'm sorry, y'all. This congregation especially, right? Like, y'all are, oh, I hate those Trump flags, yeah. Whenever I see a Make America Great hat again. When I'm afraid, when I'm in despair. So prayer is a way of processing anxiety, grief, anger, confusion, bitterness, resentment, hatred, fear, despair. So we process it with the Lord. But we also go pursuing from the Lord. Peace. Comfort. Calm. Clarity. Joy. Delight. Love. Confidence. Hope. See, this invitation to prayer is God's acknowledgement. You don't have your act together. You don't have all the answers. You're not coming before God like the prophets of Baal that says, we can, we can do, see what we're doing. We can do it and, and you'll act because of what we're doing. You go to God without a thing. And what, one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite songs uh, in a sweater poorly knit by this band called Me Without You. It says, if I come without a thing, then I come without a, with all I need. If I'm a crown without a king, if I'm a broken open seed, if I come without a thing, then I come with all I need. And when we do that, we can process, I'm anxious, but I'm pursuing your peace. He will give us the peace that passes understanding. I'm grieved, but I'm pursuing your comfort. He'll be the great comforter. I'm angry, and I'm pursuing your calm. He will be the one who brings us to the place of ease and soundness. When I'm confused, he will bring clarity. When I'm bitter, he will bring joy. When I am resentful, he will bring delight. When I have hatred, he can bring love. When I am afraid, he can bring confidence. And whenever I'm in despair, he can bring hope. And then the last thing that I think is not only are we processing this and are we pursuing these things, but we're petitioning the Lord. And here's the deal. I'm not called just to petition, to plead with the Lord for oneself, but I am. I'm invited to plead. This is where my heart's at. But, but I, I would encourage us that we need to use prayer as a way of petitioning for others. You, you know, you don't like Joe Biden and you're worried about the left and 
especially the far left. Are we praying? Lord, send your spirit. You know, like Donald Trump, and you're afraid about things that he, the, the, the violence that he can incite in people who are motivated already. God, change his heart. You're worried for your brothers and sisters who are sick. And you know that it goes far beyond sickness, that, that, there, that with this sickness, there is stigma that's surrounding it. And there's isolation and there's loneliness. There's certain measures of fear. Then you go and you say, God, please be with them because I know that they're experiencing this. Maybe you who've gone through it. I talked to Brother Mitch and Brother Mitch said, hey, you know, after going through this, it gives me greater perspective so I can pray more clearly for those who are going through this. It's a good lesson. Not one that I wish you would have had to learn that way. So we pray to process, we pray to pursue, and we pray to petition, to plead. And whenever I think about petition, I think petition for oneself, and I think petition for others. Petition for our world. And here's what I can tell you about what you ask. We'll go back to 1 John. Chapter number 5. Let me find the verse here. These things have I written unto you, verse number 13 of chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, if we know that he hears whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we desired of him. We know that if he hears us, that he will attend to us. But did you see that? Ask in accordance with his will. And so maybe when we're petitioning, we say, God, here's what I think about it. But I don't really know how you see things. Or God... This is what I think about it, and I think about it because I believe that you see things the same way that I do. But let me know if I'm wrong. But we have confidence that whatever we ask, he hears. And God is inviting us to 2022. Personal invitation, not a call, not a command, not a demand on your life, but it is a personal plea from 
the Father. What are you doing here? Come talk to me. My brothers and my sisters, I hope and I pray that we can respond well to his invitation. And with that I say, amen. Lord, I come to you right now and I ask that you would be with us as we pray that we might come to you fully, freely. Lord, I pray that we would come trusting that you've invited us. You want us there. And I pray that you will hear our prayers and that we will have great confidence that you've heard our prayers. I pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. I'm going to invite you to a time. I couldn't talk about prayer and preach about prayer, not giving you an opportunity, a space, an availability for you to pray, for you to begin to practice right now what, what, what we hope you'll practice tomorrow and the day after. So I'm going to invite you right now, whatever it is, maybe you have to process something, maybe you're pursuing something, maybe right now the Lord's saying, I want you to petition on your behalf or on somebody else's behalf. I want you to come before the Lord and just know that there's an invitation for you right now.
If you're still praying, don't let me interrupt you. My brothers and my sisters, I want to thank you all for being with us today. Uh, I want to encourage those of you who have not been able to do so yet uh, to know that we are having our family promise week this week and we are in need of people to provide meals. Uh, we still have uh, many opportunities available for that. So uh, we would encourage you to um, sign up to provide meals. And uh, if you want to do that this morning, Miss Brittany, you can just talk to Miss Brittany and we can get you scheduled for that. Um, and then also next Saturday morning, um, Brother Mike is uh, leading a group down to uh, the 4BDRN, uh, their facility down there in Texas City. And there's a free training for mud out and sheetrock repair. Uh, this is not only good for us preparing for uh, natural disasters, but this will be um, good on multiple levels. It, will, if, it might give you some training and some skills that you need for your own house, uh, give you an opportunity to see the, um, the center down there and to uh, see the vision that the Lord has given them um, with this great uh, facility. And then also just be a good time to fellowship with some uh, brothers and sisters. And just so uh, that's the other thing I want to say. It's not a guy's thing. It is a, uh, it's a church thing. And so, uh, so men and women, uh, when we did mud out and gut out, uh, or mud out a repair and we did sheetrock work after, uh, that was not just a bunch of guys getting together. There were uh, men and women uh, hand in hand, heart in heart, uh, doing the work together. So, uh, so this is uh, 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 just like hurricanes don't discriminate. We don't discriminate. So everybody's invited uh, to come on Saturday. And uh, if you want to do that, let Brother Mike know this morning that you're going to be with him. Um, this week as we go, let's, let's, heed, let's heed the invitation, this personal invitation from God, the God of all creation, the God who is so, he has so much, the whole world in his hands, right? But he looks to you and he says, hey, I, I want to know. I want to know, what, what are you doing here? What do you need? Talk to me about it. Let's heed it each and every day. Let's pray. Let's pray. And, and, and in this way, I would say, we will be powerful as a church. There will be no anemic bone in our body if we heed this personal invitation. And with that, I say, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.